You know, we've been in the series for the book of Genesis. I think we were in there for almost 10 weeks. We saw the absolute unbelievable way in which God takes ordinary people, not perfect people, but ordinary people, anointed and enabled by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to reflect His character and glory in people like Joseph, in which we finished up the series. Last week, Pastor Alex preached about Joseph and how God used him. And he is one of the closest foreshadowings of Christ in the entire book, uh, of, in the entire Old Testament. Because in the situations with people like Noah and Abraham, you really see how God uses incredibly faith-driven people. But you see also their character flaws. You see where when the pressure is on, like with Abraham, he got afraid that they were going to kill him. And so he told a half-truth, we call that a lie, about his wife being his sister. You see Noah after coming off the ark. You see him kind of uh, frail in his humanity because he gets so drunk. And if you remember the sermon on Noah, you have to be really drunk to get drunk naked. You know, when you, when you just decide somehow or another, I think it's a good idea just to take off all my clothes. You're really drunk at that point. Can we agree? Say amen. Amen. But when you get to Joseph, you know, there's never a mention of a character issue. Matter of fact, if there's anybody that deserved to be kind of upset or angry at the situations going on in their life, have you ever had a moment, and maybe you're more uh, saved than I am. I actually told a pastor in Indiana this week, I said, I'm not as saved as you. You know, because he was telling me about a situation and I would have handled it totally different. And I said, you're far more saved than I am. And, um, but, and you may be more saved than I am as well. You know, but have you, has anyone ever thought, like I have thought, God, I'm on your team. And I'm doing the things that you've asked me to do. And it seems like I'm the guy catching it in the teeth. Anybody else thought that? Well, Joseph, if there's anybody in Scripture, Joseph should have been able to say that to God. Like, God, you gave me a dream. That dream caused my brothers to beat me up, assault me, then throw me in a hole. And then while I'm in the hole, they're thinking about killing me. And after they decide not to kill me because I'm their brother, they decide to sell me into slavery. All because of a dream that you gave me. And then when I get into slavery, they sell me again to another slave owner. And now I'm in Egypt. And now uh, I, I, I am receiving the favor of the Lord where they see my leadership skills. The man that has bought me puts me over his entire house and uh, gives me responsibilities above every other servant. And I am going to be a good steward of that. And I'm doing a good job and I'm obedient. And then his wife comes on to me. And I decide to act honorably as a man of character. And I rebuff the advances of his wife. And then she accuses me. She gets so enamored with me that she tries to force me into a relationship. I run away, leave my jacket, and she makes up a story that says that I assaulted her. In that assault, I'm found guilty of something I didn't do and I spend the next 12 years in prison. At the 10-year mark, I interpret two dreams of two fellow uh, prisoners. One gets executed, one goes back to the palace, and he forgets me. Now, if there's anybody that deserves the right to say, God, I'm on your team, can you agree that Joseph has a little bit of foundation to say, where you at? But we know the story, God takes him. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. 
and he prepares, God uses him as a redeemer to save the nation of Israel and Egypt at the same time. Incredible. But now you're about to, for us to really truly start the uh, series in Exodus, you really had to be reminded who Joseph was. And let me pray before we continue this sermon. Father, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to now illuminate your word. And I ask that your word go forth and touch our hearts and minds. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Now we kind of remember the story that Pharaoh had a dream and the dream included seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of severe famine. And so Joseph not only interprets the dream, but Joseph now puts an intellectual plan together. And sometimes we have people on two different sides of the spectrum. They, we have people that want to do nothing but use their head and their, their mind, their intellect. And those are wonderful people and we need to have intellect and we need to think for ourselves and we need to uh, apply the ability in which God has given us. But when you're doing that, it does not require faith. It just requires your God-given abilities that you already possess. See, in church work, especially church budgets, sometimes there are budgets that, and principles of business that you have to operate by. See, when I was sitting down at, at lunch with that pastor in Indiana, um, I listened to what they were doing, and then he made the mistake by saying, well, what are y'all doing in Fort Myers? I said, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. He said, no, nah, man, give me a try. I said, okay, try this on for size. A charismatic, contemporary, non-denominational church merged with a traditional, liturgical, 125-year-old Baptist church, and we decided to become one congregation. That's for starters. Average age of first service at the time of the merger, 74. Look around you today. There's teenagers in here. There's people of all age groups. Can somebody praise the Lord by just putting your hands together? and saying thank you God for a little bit of diversity. Now we're not there yet and this sermon is going to have some bumpy moments in it because we have to reflect upon where we've come from because exodus means to get out. It means to leave, to exit. And so I want you to have the context of what we're getting out of so we can know where we're going in our future. But when I told him, hey we've given away 3,000 bikes we feed the homeless every Tuesday. We make them breakfast. We have showers prepared for them. We do their laundry. There's so much laundry that we started on Tuesday, can't end till Wednesday. And yet we have service almost 20, uh, we have something going on on our campus seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And a lot of times churches feel that as a spiritual thing and a moment where, yes, all churches are like firemen, 24 hours, seven days a week. No, we really are. Our electric bill is like $10,000 on a good month, $12,000 in August. That's turning the lights on seven days a week, 24 hours a day, doing a lot of laundry. And he said this, how do you get the money for it? I said, you still wouldn't believe me if I told you. 
I said, you have to believe, you have to set in business principles and do good budgets. And we have stewardship teams that help us do that. But at the end of yourself and at the end of your intellect, you've got to factor in that God's bigger than all the situations and the circumstances that you're going to come into contact with throughout that year. And you're going to have to believe that at the end of your intellect, at the end of your good business stewardship, that there is a faith that believes that God's going to make up the difference. And I said, let me tell you one story just to give you an example. On the National Day of prayer probably now four or five years ago, what we know as, as Matt's, uh, you know, Matt, the, the uh, Pastor Matt that welcomed you today, he is our pastor and director of Crossover Youth Ministries. It is a para-ministry that reaches out into our city, into our urban youth both uh, men and women. We have a, a tutoring program and all of that. But before, he, uh, before it became what we know of as crossover today, it was known as the bridge. And the bridge had traveled uh, throughout town and they ended up here and we were giving them free lodging. We were basically saying, come do your ministry. We don't need, um, we needed it, but we just thought it was a, a, a seed to be sown in fertile ground. We said, we're not going to charge you any rent. We just want you to come here and do it. At the on the National Day of Prayer four or five years ago, the board the day before voted to shut it down. And I remember being in this room at 3 o'clock in the morning because we did a 24-hour prayer thing on the National Day of Prayer. I was sitting in the floor right there with like two lights on because uh, our power bill's really high. No, that's not the reason. <laughs> and I said, Lord... How am I going to walk in next Friday to 75 young men and women that already have abandonment issues and tell them, we're just not going to do this anymore? And I said, God, I don't know how we're going to do it, but if you'll supply us the resources, we'll take it on as a ministry. We didn't plan on doing it, but it seems like you've dropped it in our lap. And it didn't make any financial sense. The next day, I went to the prayer breakfast, went to the hospital to come see somebody. I, I saw a gentleman in the hall. He said, Pastor, I've been meaning to get with you, and I've been meaning to call you. It's a great thing that I saw you today. He said, come back by when you get through visiting your, the person you've come here for. Come back by, pray with me and my wife, and, and we got something for you. And uh, so I went and did my visit. I come back. And they, I prayed with them. I asked how things were going. They told me and I prayed with them. And they handed me a white envelope. I just stuck it in my back pocket. And I walked to my truck. And as I walked to the truck, I kind of sensed the Holy Spirit said, you may need to look in that envelope. It was a check for $50,000. It was the entire budget for one year for crossover. See, when I tell you we have to use our intellect, God, want, He gave you good sense for a reason. But there are people that not only have, that we have to always remember that you can't, some people are so, I've preached about those that only use their intellect and they're not spiritual at all. But let me preach about the ones for just about 30 seconds that are on the other end of the extreme. I've met people and I know you've met people that consider themselves so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. Amen. They're like praying about everything. Well, Pastor, are you preaching against prayer? No, but do we really have to pray what you're going to make for dinner tonight? You know, join me in prayer. I'm going to the grocery store and I'm going to try to find out the certain ingredients to make dinner all week. Okay. God bless them. Amen. <laughs> 
you know, we just kind of, the pleasant just go to the grocery store and we look through it and we go, hey, I'd like to eat that. I didn't need a miracle. I just needed to say, hey, I think I can afford that right there. Let me put that in the basket. When I get up there, they total it up. My son come up with a great idea one time when he was a, a, a little guy. He's 27 now and has his own daughter and they got their own family. He said, Dad, why don't we do this thing the quick way? I said, what are you talking about? He said, why don't we just pray for it while it's in the grocery bags and then when we eat, it's already blessed. I thought, man, you, you may be on to something. So you have, to be, you have to be intellectual and yet have faith. And you have to be spiritually minded but, earth, but grounded in earthly things. Because God wants to put both of those combinations together. But no matter who you are, whether you are the intellectual or whether you're the spiritually driven person that we need to come together as a team to keep each other balanced... A lot of times, we, we, the point I'm making is this. It doesn't matter how great you think you are, and all, even sometimes the great things that you're able to accomplish, if you're not careful, people will forget. Can you imagine a man that saved an entire nation? The book of Exodus begins by him being forgotten by a pharaoh. That's like us forgetting who the first president of the United States was. It's like us forgetting who walked on the moon first. You know, can you imagine forgetting? And the Bible reads like this in Exodus 1 and 8. Now there arose a new king or a pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The man saved the nation from starvation and is now such a distant memory that he had been forgotten. The word therefore forgotten is defined as having no appreciation of Joseph's character or achievements. I think that we should point out um, that it's nice to have moments with God, but sometimes people's testimony concentrates so much about what God has done in the past that we forget about what God is doing right now. God not only wanted to save the nation of Israel and Egypt through a famine, but it should have been that the, the God of Joseph continued to do works among the people of Egypt and the people of Israel throughout the 400 years that had passed. But we found out that when Joseph kind of passed away that the God of Joseph seemed to fade into the distance. And now there was a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph and really didn't care to know him. And that made a way for the enemy to come in and to attack the people of God. See, in Exodus, the people of God, you and I, are represented by the nation of Israel. The people of God chosen in the Old Testament. We're going to see some character representation like Moses being a redeemer that's going to come in and be anointed by the hand of God the Father to redeem the nation of Israel knowing that in our future uh, the Son of God Jesus was going to be anointed and enabled by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit to come and redeem mankind from the curse and the bondages of sin. But Pharaoh is going to represent the enemy, the devil, the assaulter of the people of God. And all of a sudden you find out that Pharaoh starts to see the people of God differently than what they see themselves. 
And I want you to see it in Exodus 1, 8 through 10. It says, Now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Before we get to the strategies of the enemy, I want you to look back at how he sees the people of God. He sees them as many, they are multiplied, and he sees them as strong, but yet they see themselves as slaves. See, you have to realize that sometimes we give the devil credit for things that he cannot do. The devil cannot be omnipresent, so he's not everywhere. So that means that sometimes that things that you're blaming the devil for may be you. That's what it means. The person you shave with in the morning or you put your makeup on. You know, that person looking back at you in the mirror, a lot of times it's not the devil getting us into the trouble, it's that person that we're with in the bathroom. Now, it doesn't mean that he has tempted us, pointed us in the wrong direction, but sometimes we go all by ourselves. This is the one thing that troubles me the most about the entire book of Exodus. Is how do you talk a nation of people into becoming your slaves without the first weapon being drawn? Wouldn't you like it much better if it said, and there was a big war and Israel lost and Egypt won and they become their slaves? Then you could kind of understand it. But they didn't get, mili they didn't get defeated militarily. They got defeated intellectually and the concept of their identity, they were talked into being slaves. Can you imagine somebody telling you, hey, I think it's a good idea for you to work for me. Okay, that's how it starts. That's how temptation starts. That's how deception starts. Hey, you want a job? I got a job for you. Hey, I'm going to add a little things as we go on. Now you've been working for me for 50 years. Now I'm going to take away the right to leave. And oh, by the way, I'm going to take away the right to pay you. And the next thing you know, you're a slave, bound in bondage. Do you realize that that's probably the closest analogy to how people get bound by the power of sin today? The devil doesn't come to somebody and say, hey, I'd like to ruin your life. I'd like to wreck your marriage. I'd like to destroy your credibility and your character. He never does that. He says, hey, you want to have some fun? Hey, why don't, why don't we start with this? This isn't a heaven or hell issue. Let's just start here and we'll see what happens. And as you're going down the path, the slippery slope of sin, because I, you know my testimony, you know I have experienced the slippery slope of sin. Nobody, when, when I remember being 13 years old and, uh, you know, and, and I, I preach this fairly often, and I remember taking my first drink in a construction van group of us decided, they, you know, it was like on a Friday afternoon, they bought a big case of beer and they said, hey, you want one? I'm 13 years old. You want one? I said, sure. You say, Pastor, is it a heaven or hell issue if somebody drinks a beer? Absolutely not. You drink 20, yeah. Now you're getting, it, you may not go to hell, you may experience hell. <laughs> you say, Pastor, what do you mean you experience hell? That's for the time. You ask somebody on the side of the road going like this. And it costs them $10,000, they'll tell you that it's hell. Yeah. And that led to me smoking my first joint. 
still 13. I wasn't addicted. By the time I got to be 19, I was going to class in college high. I'd squandered everything. I'd stay up for days at a time. I would make good grades and my professors would, would draw me for lack of attendance because I couldn't get there all the time because of the condition that I was in. And the next thing you know, my scholarships are gone. And everything about me now had me in bondage. I had become a slave to the thing that I thought I was enjoying. See, Egypt had a moment where they convinced people, uh, the people of God, to become their slaves. And let me just teach here for one more minute and then we'll move on very quickly. There's two types of sin, okay? And this is your touch your neighbor moment for first service. Touch your neighbor and tell them there are two types of sin. Tell them right now. You say, well, I thought all sin was the same. God views sin. Yeah, there's two types of, of manifesting sin. One is sins of commission. That means those are sins you do. Sins of commission are those things that you are actively involved in doing that you absolutely know are outside the authority of the obedience of the boundaries God has set for you. So let's just use something extreme. Um, if you worked at the bank and you were stealing money, that's a sin of commission. Okay, You know it doesn't belong to you, but yet you're taking it anyway, knowing that that is not God's will or plan for you. Say amen. Everybody understand with but the more dangerous of sin is not sins of commission, but the sins of omission. Those aren't the sins you're doing. Those are the sins you're allowing. Those are the sins you just do nothing about. You see evil triumphing. And I'm a big history buff for those of you that are visitors with us today. And from what I understand, we got a baseball star here with us from Iowa. So I wanted to say shout out to you this morning. So, you know, and, and so, you know, those are those moments where you see something going on and you just don't. I'm a big history buff. And that's where Winston Churchill really gets the foundation of rallying the, the continent of Europe by saying evil triumphs when good men do nothing. When you see something going on and you decide just to turn your head and pretend like you don't see it, those are sins of omission and they're just as dangerous. They didn't do something to become slaves. They did nothing not to become one. And they found themselves over the next 400 years in the bondages of slavery. It's important for us to understand it's not just what you're doing, but sometimes you have to ask the question of what am I not doing? See, it's not good enough for us to have sins of omission as a church where we know that we are going to heaven, but we don't care about the people outside the walls of the building going to hell. That would be a sin of omission. And so all of a sudden, the enemy now has convinced them that they are slaves. And now they have the identity of slaves. And sin and the devil never stop at just the pure destruction of your life. You ever notice that sin gets contagious? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just contain it to the boundaries of who you are? It would be nice. But most of the time it leaks out and it touches your spouse or your children or your friends or the place that you work. Because all of a sudden, the enemy decides, I know what we have to do. Here's the strategy. One, we'll put them in bondage. Two, we're going to kill the next generation. 
Now, for our first servicers, buckle up your seatbelt for just a moment. You know, pastor loves you. You've been with me now eight years. We're good friends. You know, but let's talk about how we got here. Because that's the question I wanted to ask at the very beginning of this sermon. How did we get here? Can you imagine waking up as a slave 400 years later and go, how did we become this? How did we get here? Because the enemy's strategy is not just to put you in bondage, but he wants to guarantee the bondage to perpetuate for generation after generation with the lack of attention to those that are coming behind us. And he tells them, there's too many of them. We'll, take, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that we control this situation. And it, it even goes up into the New Testament. They've got it up there on the outline. I'm not going to read it out loud this time. But do you know that the same strategy existed in the New Testament? Remember when Jesus was born? Herod told him to go kill everybody under the age of two. Because he's as interested in, in extermination of the next generation than he is about putting you in bondage. Now, for those of you that are guests with us, hold on just a second. I'm going to come back down here so I can be a little more friendlier than standing up on the stage. How did we get here? We got here through the bondage of comfort and the lack of attention to those coming behind us. Because it doesn't matter. You say, Pastor, how did first service when we merged, how did we get to a place where our average age was 74? That should have been a tell right there. He convinced you that while you were having a great time experiencing the comforts of the way that you love the expressions of worship, he convinced you not to be concerned about the ones coming behind you and you become one generation. It didn't matter that you had 800 people. They were all the same age. And so you... You, you fast forward 25 or 30 years and you find the 800 now is 150 because of transition, people moving, getting closer to their family, people getting older, going to heaven, moving closer to their kids and grandkids. And all of a sudden you turn around, there's 650 people missing and, they're all, and the 150 that are left are all your age. And there's nobody to hand it off to. There's nobody coming behind you. See, that's the thing. I, I love my dad. He's a little strange. <laughs> Matter of fact, he's a lot strange. I can talk that way. He's on, a way to, uh, on his way to a cruise this morning. He's not going to be in first or second service. So I can, I can. My dad was a pastor. And so he, he really ministered in a day where it was platform driven ministry, where the pastor was like a rock star. And I remember when God started stirring my heart for us to leave where we were and end up in a, church, in a school somewhere. And he asked me, why in the world would you do that? You pastor 600 and some odd people. You've got 96,000 square feet of building and seven acres. Why would you take everybody to the school? Because God was calling us to something bigger than what we had. To look and stretch ourselves. And he asked me a question and, and sometimes... I don't speak as eloquently as I need to. And this blew my dad away. He said, why are you going to do this, son? I'm worried about you. He said, I said, Dad, I'm, I'm, I think God's got me on a, on a mission. He said, what's your mission? I said, to destroy platform-driven ministry. 
I said, the world doesn't need another rock star. And the focus doesn't necessarily always have to be in the sanctuary. But if we put the same purpose and the same focus and the same energy in our children and youth ministry, you'll find out that we're going to have generations come behind us of the people of God that are not just going to be singing. It, it, we get so messed up over, are we going to sing hymns or are we going to sing traditional? I can't wait to the day. Now, if you're a part of CityGate in both services, and we're a little strange. I mean, second service could start with a rap. It could start with whist, you know, people are whistling and clapping and there's flags being raised it looks strange can somebody say amen especially compared to first service we're reserved we got ourselves together you know we're 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 dignified <laughs> we got a little class about us you know but what I don't want to do is try, because every generation tries to hold on to the comfort levels of what they got, not understanding that it has put us in bondage if we stay too long. That's what happened to Israel. They stayed too long in a place that was provided for them to be temporary and to go back to the land of Canaan, and they stayed in the comforts of Egypt until they become slaves. I don't want my grandchildren. I've got two now, Mila and, and uh, Riley, and I don't want those that I've, I've adopted over 16 years, like the Josie's, the Maya's, the Seb's, the Isaac's, the Geo's. I don't want them doing it the way that we did it. I want them to have the same experience with the transformational God, but whatever the style of music is, I'm at a place where I would rather set my comfort aside and be free from the bondage of, of what is comfortable to me as long as I'm seeing them get saved in youth and children's ministry. Do you realize that three weeks ago I think we had eight kids saved in children's ministry? Can somebody say amen? They're going to, Dawn's dressed up like Wonder Woman today. It's a suit up series. I got my Superman shirt on to support. It don't look the way that we did it 25 years ago. But going back to my dad, my dad said, son, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, but I'll go with you. If you think God's telling you to do it, let's go do this thing. And my dad can't hardly, he's a lot like first servicers. He divide, him and mom divide their time between first and second service. He doesn't understand why they do it the way that they do it. And he doesn't even enjoy it until... He said, son, it's the most incredible thing. I, I don't even know how God does it. He said, they, they, they are out. It's just mind-blowing to me. And he says, then the word goes forth. You give an altar call, and they come from everywhere to come and get saved. And he said, I would come to CityGate just to watch the altar service. Because I am seeing people of all faiths and all... <coughs> <coughs> backgrounds come together and being united through the transformational power of God. Do you realize that we have testimonies of known drug dealers that now are men of God 10 years later that will teach a Sunday school class and 10 years before they were selling somebody drugs because they saw a church that wasn't as concerned about what they were going to sing but about whom they were singing about and allowing the power of a transformational God to set them free. We've got to do communion today, and I'm almost, I, 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 I'm not doing the sermon justice today. We, can we get out of the, uh, can, will you guys give, uh, we got 10 minutes left. We can either do communion or I can finish the rest of the sermon. Will you allow us to have communion next Sunday?
Will it be okay if we just, Miss Diane, will you forgive me this week? Just this, I know you've put a lot of work and I don't want to diminish this, but we may just need to hear what God's telling us today. See, you may be in bondage today. But remember this, the transformational God that saved the drug dealer can, can get you out of the bondage, even if you're saved. So you have to remember these were the people of God and they were slaves. See, sometimes we get in bondage to things, whether it's comfort, whether it's a system, a way. Sometimes those things put us in bondage and you have to understand that this is one of the things that troubled me the most. Never believe what the enemy tells you about yourself. He's a liar. Because the enemy had told its church, Fort Myers First Baptist, that they were going to die. Especially when we got down to 50 people. There's going to be a day where you can't do this anymore. Look around you. We're growing in attendance in our first service. Now we haven't hit our stride yet, but man, there's probably 100 people here today. We've got teenagers, young adults. We've got middle-aged adults and we've got our senior citizens, our wisdom. We need those. But look around you and see the blessings and the benefit of God. Even when the enemy said, you're not going to make it. He had told Israel, you are slaves until somebody started to say something different. Guys, it's so important for you to get on board with perpetuating the gospel because there needs to be so much change to City Gate. First service and second service have to become a little more similar. They don't have to be the same, but they got to become more similar because I got to get some of the old folks in second service to come to first service so we can open up some room for some younger people to come to second. You say, Pastor, why? Why not just keep it the way it is? Do you know the leading cause of death between 15 and 25 now? Anybody want to guess? It's not drug addiction. Suicide. I was in a tree stand reading an article about a young lady that she was 15 years old, jumped off an overpass. She left her mom and dad's house. It was down the street. She jumped off an overpass. 15 years old. Made straight A's. But she was broken inside and didn't feel like she had any opportunity to tell anybody. I said, God, what can we do as a church? How can you be 15 years old and not believe you have hope? You can mess everything up at 15 and you got to believe I can... I can God can do something here. 15 years old, believing they have no hope. And it's becoming epidemic. No, I don't care what bondages you are in, whether it's emotional, mental, physical.
whisper in your ear, in your present condition, there is no hope. Well, let's don't stay in our present condition. Let's create environments where young men and women can talk to those of you that are, have experience, that have walked this path of life for 20 and 30 and 50 and 70 and 80 years. Wouldn't it be nice for somebody to be able to have a, a bridge of communication and relationship with you to say, hey man, I'm really getting some dark, bad thoughts and I need to know, how did you make it to 80? You ever felt like you failed? You ever felt broken? You ever had everything just fall apart at the seams? You ever had to walk through something? Wouldn't it be wonderful for some of you that have experienced, that have walked through the darkest moments of your life, to look at a young man in the eyes and say, don't you ever give up. Because there is a God that is on the throne that can transition and transform your circumstances because He has done it for me. Amen? And we are thinking so much about those coming behind us because I am on a mission to build prayer warriors, men and women of worship, men and women of prayer that fear the Lord but yet are worshipers with extravagance that there's no way that you've got to do it that's right. You just worship. You believe God for everything. You hope and have a faith that even in the impossible, God can show up. All of a sudden here we have these slaves that have been talked into slavery and it has bound them. And God starts to transition them, even in the harsh conditions of slavery. Miss Judy, get ready to play me something. These are the scriptures written. Tom, I know I've jumped around, but it's Exodus 1 and 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And those that started to try to save the next generation, the midwives, God says this in verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. After 400 years of slavery to where every Israelite that was alive had never breathed the first breath of free air. And all of a sudden there's coming rumor that God is doing something that is going to transition them from being men and women that are slaves to the bondages of Egypt. But God is raising up and remembering the people of God in such a way that there's coming a Redeemer that would lead them into freedom. And all of the things that the enemy had tried to use to oppress them and stamp them out and fortify their position of slaves. Yet the scripture says, but God still blessed even in the challenging, difficult moments. Pharaoh couldn't kill them. That's good gospel news. And you, some of you need to be reminded of it. Sometimes, like I said, we give the devil credit for stuff he can't do. If he could kill you, you'd already be dead. He'd wait till your moment of greatest failure and then kill you. But he doesn't have the authority to kill you. That's why Pharaoh had to tell himself and the people of his council this. We can't overcome them. The devil cannot overcome you. But he can trick you into overcoming yourself. He said, let's deal shrewdly with them. I wrote this conclusion. 
Some may want freedom today, but it comes with the price. The price tag is not living like a slave anymore. It comes with not putting your life in neutral during hard and painful seasons. We must know our identity in Christ so we cannot be deceived to live under our purpose. That means you can't be convinced to be a slave to sin. It's not just about you, but let's leave a legacy of power, faith, righteousness, and the fear of the Lord in our children. Let's teach them how to worship and pray and believe God can get you out of anywhere. We started with a question about how, do I, how did I get here? But the real question is this. Will I allow God to get me out of this current place to the place of freedom that He has designed? For servicers, you have allowed me to preach a bumpy moment of telling you that we got to the position we got to because we were run one generation deep. But thank you for being flexible enough to make some changes that on any given Sunday there's between 10 and 15 babies in your nursery. There's 100 kids in elementary and pre-K and there's probably 30 to 40 teenagers in a youth room every single week because of you. Because you didn't just pray, how did I get here? But you started praying, God, how can you get me out of this current place to get me to a place of freedom that you have designed for me? With that many kids, according to the statistics, there are kids that are going to be in our activity center and, well, they're probably already starting to come. I'm, I'm preaching long and they're out back there waiting for me to stop that are going to struggle with suicidal thoughts. Are we going to pay enough attention to the eyes and the hearts of those young kids to look for that one that looks like they're struggling? This young lady had two notebooks filled with heart-wrenching writings that she never gave anyone. Until that day. But there's a moment coming to City Gate where somebody in that same situation, Pastor Vernon, may come, maybe a young man feeling out of lost, that he's lost all hope. And to know that you've been a pastor for nearly 50 years in vocational ministry, you've walked through the, the struggles of losing a spouse and watching her go to heaven preceding you in that and all of the difficulty and the challenges and the grief. And yet God may, the Holy Spirit may direct them to you. Where you say, son, there was moments where I felt like giving up along the way. And son, there was moments where my heart was breaking. But God has been faithful. And if you've ever heard this man pray. If a young man come with those type of notebooks and let that guy pray for them, I believe God, the transformational God that got Egypt, or Israel out of Egypt's bondage would get them out of the bondages of feeling like they have no hope. Can somebody say amen? Would you stand with me?